Welcome back everyone to Talking Points. Welcome to everyone watching on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Audio only, video only, doesn't matter. Welcome, it's just me and Aldas today. This is why four of us do it, because if, you know, Hayden and Matt drop out, bottle it, then you've still got content. We won't let you down, we promise. And also, Aldas, I've got my standing desk actually working, so I'm standing up now, mate. I'm loving life. Look at me. Are you jealous? He's literally jumping up and down. Like he's the first thing he said to me, like when we jumped on the call, was like, oh, look, I'm standing up. And I was like, why? Uh, but yeah, well, we'll see if the uh, podcast is any better with your, or if your opinions are any better with you standing up. But yeah, this is a bit strange. We were saying like before that this feels like a Tomo or Aldas video with just uh, us two. Like, is this video sponsored by Squarespace on Tomo's channel? Like what's going on? But yeah, it should be a, should be a fun one talking about all the, ch- all the uh, drivers and some, some decent contract talk as well. So yeah, looking forward to this Maybe one. Standing one up apparently. Day. Maybe one day we'll get the Squarespace prop on the Talking Past podcast. But you, you'll see, you'll see. We'll, we'll, it's only a matter of time. But yes, we thought we'd talk today all about because, look, it's, it's no secret that, I mean, both of us last week released videos on Daniel Ricciardo. There's a lot of talk around uh, Mick Schumacher's future at the moment. You know, you had Sergio Perez's contract, which is talk, then talk about Gasly. So we thought we'd focus this week on just talking about driver future contracts we've got you know f1 put a graphic out showing which drivers are confirmed but again we can talk about that because you know daniel ricardo's technically got a contract for next year but we've all talked about that already we've already beaten that dead offs um because about six of us released videos of daniel ricardo which by the way some people think this was like some concerted effort from loads of YouTubers to like come together and make a little oh that's all that's all shit on daniel ricardo at the same time wahaha no, it's just like everyone was talking about it at, at Monaco, and I think it's a it's a valid conversation to have. Out that's not just about Daniel, but about Mick. And you know what? It's sport. Like when people aren't performing, you're going to talk about their future. Yeah, that's right. And me, me, and you have been kind of we we've been like this ever since we started our channels. Like even if we do like a driver, we are never not going to criticize them. Like we're big fans of Daniel Ricciardo, but he's not doing a good enough job. He does have a contract for next year. And that's why we made, along with everyone else on F1, uh, on F1 YouTube, uh, a video about Daniel Ricciardo, because once again, Monaco was not a great track for him. I mean, that's, it's the driver track where kind of the big weaknesses, if you have something that you can't drive your car, if you're not quite at one with it, it's going to expose you a lot. And it was not a great weekend for him in terms of the speed. Like maybe he got away with it with some of the, uh, with some of the positions because obviously we had a red flag and then, you know, safety mm-hmm. cars. But yeah, it's it's a tricky one with Ricardo because again, the situation at the moment, he does have a contract with McLaren for 2023. And according to the race, the onus is on Daniel to decide whether he wants to opt out early or not. The team actually don't have too much power over that. Even though they do have performance clauses, maybe he's not doing, obviously we don't know what they are, but clearly they don't have the power at the moment to kind of drop in for 2023. But I think the question with Daniel is a mental one. How long, first of all, what does he see the future at McLaren for him? Like, is he going to return back to his best or is it just going to be another year being a number two driver and not even that, but really struggling? And that mentally, that does a lot to a driver and a lot to their kind of, to their ego as well. So yeah, it's it's a bit sad to be honest, because again, we're all big fans of Daniel Ricciardo. We know how good he can be in 2018, you know, why would you know why could you not make an argument that he was on the level of someone like a you know Seb or Lewis and if you put him in the Ferrari or Mercedes in 2018 why he would have definitely been able to fight for a championship so the fact that it's gone so wrong so quick and what the future holds for him it's going to be interesting but I don't think there's just something not right there in terms of the vibes at McLaren with both Daniel and the team and Zach Brown 
when your team principal on record and on camera starts talking about mechanisms and contracts, yeah, that's not good. That's not good. Twisted, twisting the script. And you know, Zach Brown said he's one of these team principals. He, you know, he does put an arm around a driver. He's not one typically. I, I'm sure he only said this like a couple of weeks ago. Like he's not one to kind of publicly criticize the driver. Um, but I mean, when the going gets tough, you know, sometimes you got to pull out. And and yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, what I think this really illustrates, actually, and we've seen this before. Um, with drivers who have proven their ability without any shadow of doubt. Sebastian Vettel is a great example as well. These drivers don't lose talent overnight, but they can still have poor seasons. There are many factors. There's a teammate, there's a car. There's This is such a, a nuanced sport. And, and I think that's what makes um, these conversations, because even, even in simpler sports like football, you know, where everyone's kicking the same ball around. There's very minimal kind of offset. It's all about your individual and your team. Um, but I think I think with F1, there, there's so much nuance to understanding. Because, you know, if you really dive into the details of where Daniel is slower than Lando, it's the slow speed corners. It's getting the car turned in. You look at how Daniel, you know, used to drive that Red Bull. And, you know, the characteristics did seem to kind of go over to the Renault as well. That's why he seemed to be able to do so well in 2020. Um, but it isn't just about, you know, raw talent and ability. But I do think this also illustrates that the power of certain drivers, Fernando Alonso, you know, has to be the one you always talk about when it comes to adaptability. The amount of different cars he's driven over his career and he's always, always pulled out the performance. And it's like, it's all well and good having that really high potential ceiling. Um, but Fernando's always been able to get close to that ceiling throughout his entire career. Not just in F1 either. You got to remember, like the success he's had outside in kind of sports cars, Le Mans. Like you know that that for me is what sets a driver like Fernando apart. Um, as much as he hasn't delivered as many world titles as he should have, I think his ability that that it, it's it's one thing being quick in a certain type of car, but to be quick in every type of car, you know, we've seen that with Daniel, we've seen that with Seb. That's a whole different story, right? Yeah, I mean, on that Fernando point, it's Formula One is all about perception. It really matters what car, you know, if you're at the right place at the right time. But yeah, when you look at Fernando, I mean, even pick out a random season like 2016 or 2009, you know, in a bad McLaren and a bad Renault. Even then, at no point can you say, do you know what? He underdelivered in terms of what the ceiling of that car is. So it's a very, you know, it's all about perception, even though those seasons, no, no one even remembers those seasons for Fernando no. Alonso because no. there wasn't anything to talk about. But it's... It's all about adaptability and it's a weird one, especially again, back to the Ricardo from, because you do need to adapt. You do need to be kind of, the engineers can only do so much. And ultimately, and this has been true throughout Formula One, the ultimate potential of a car is always judged by what the fastest driver can get out of it. You know, that's why when you look at the whole, I've kind of compared this now to the Gasly and Albon Red Bull situation where it was Max Verstappen getting the results. Now, of course, the cars were not perfect, but that's where the team and that's where Adrian Newey went in terms of designing the car. And that's where McLaren are right now as well. So it is what it is. And ultimately, if a driver can't adapt, you know, they either sink or swim. And ultimately, I think it's just one of those kind of as good as Daniel was. And he still is, I think. I still think he has the talent. And if you put him in the right car, he will be able to yeah. do a good job. But Norris is, Norris is the future of that team. And the really big thing for McLaren now is, is he now costing them points 
and places in the Constructors' Championship because when you look at Alpine, very strong driver lineup. I know Alfa Romeo don't have as of a strong kind of driver lineup. You know, obviously Joe is a, is a rookie, but I mean, Bottas has just been unbelievable this season. And now it kind of gets into that conversation of, you know, how long can you stick with Daniel Ricciardo? Is he going to cost you in that Constructors' Championship? Because ultimately that's what pays the big bucks and especially in a cost cap Formula One, exactly. it's more important than ever before. And also, yeah, again, cost cap F1, you can't afford to develop a different car for, for a teammate. Like you've got a platform there. McLaren have a car that is quick and, and Lando's proving that. Like it, it's it's one of them, again, it's exactly the same with Verstappen. And, you know, when it was Verstappen, Gasly, Verstappen, Albon, Red Bull weren't going to develop a, oh, a car that, you know, suits Gasly and Albon's style more. No, they've got uh, they've got a a philosophy, a car that that suits and and fits and can deliver results, and it's easier to, you know, it's easier to change a driver than it is to redevelop an entire car, and it's not a good use of resource either, and um, because there are clearly drivers out there. I do, I do wonder how a driver like um because we talk about this McLaren being a bit more understeery um than the the Red Bull and the Renault that Daniel used to drive in the past. So I do wonder, but I I, I guess as well like in in terms of Daniel's future. You know what? How much value? Because there's a, whenever we talk about drivers, and, and this happened with of course Sergio Perez. I always reference that when he was replaced by Sebastian Vettel, and and he had a contract, and he, you know, I remember he was sad at the time before when that the, when there were heavy rumours about Seb joining uh, Racing Point and, and replacing him. Uh, he was just like, well, I've got a contract, so I'm not worried. Yeah, just waving um, Look, contract, contract. I, I mean, I reckon he was more worried that he was letting on, and of course, it did end up transpiring that Seb would replace him, but. Again, I, I think that the fact that Daniel's got a got a contract, I, I think mutually, you know, this as much as you can say, oh, McLaren will get rid of him. Like you said earlier, like I, I think I think the onus probably probably is on Daniel. I, I reckon McLaren would be prepared to be patient with him. Um, it's just how much he can be prepared as you know, thirty two year old now. You know, he moved away from Red Bull to try and make an opportunity to win a championship and. I mean, in hindsight, you've got to say that maybe leaving Renault was actually the the, the bigger mistake um, because I think that Alpine, I don't think we've seen the best of that Alpine this year. I, I think that's a fantastic car. I think Alonso's been super unlucky um, and, you know, Ocon's been consistent, but I don't think Ocon is at the level of like a prime Ricardo. I mean, Ricardo wiped the floor with him in 2020. So uh, you've got to think, you know, how much is that? Do you think, I guess I guess the question is, do you think Daniel will jump or do you reckon McLaren will push? It's such a difficult one. And like predicting it is just, I think it's all about because Daniel. I see no reason is... for the for the performances to change. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd love yeah. to say, yeah, of course, we all want him to turn it on and pull it around. But I just don't see it going that way, unfortunately. I just, not, exactly. I don't either. If it... If it was going to turn around, it would have already been. It would have already turned around at one point. I mean, he's been there for just over a year, so I think it's all on Daniel in terms of what does he want for his future. Because on one side, yes, he is struggling at McLaren, but where is his options on the grid? You know, is there anything mm. even opening up? I mean, maybe we'll talk about the yeah. other teams in a bit, but maybe actually just continuing. I know it's all about how it's going to affect him mentally. Because look. Continuing with McLaren in 2023, a great brand, a brand that can open doors in other series if, you know, F1 doesn't quite work out. It's still it's still a really cool thing to be with McLaren, obviously, and get a, a lot of opportunities. Like, But can he survive another year in 2023 if it again doesn't work out of just that mental pounding from the media, from the team as well? Every single time you're uncomfortable with the car, you come into the garage and you just see the, the look of the engineers. I mean, can he survive that mental kind of mental strain and is it worth staying at McLaren 
or is he just done with Formula One? Like, that's the bit where I can't really predict. I don't know what's inside his head. I really don't because he's mm. he's being unbelievably honest in his interviews. He's you know still putting on a smile, but I don't know what's going on inside his head. It's going to be very interesting. I think that I still think that he's going to stay in 2023 just because I still think he loves Formula One, even though it's not working out. And unless another option opens up in another team, I just don't see where he's going to go. I mean, obviously, if the McLaren drive opens up, again, we're going to talk. There is a bunch of drivers lined up for that for that car. Mm. So it's a weird one. But at the moment, my prediction is that I think he would stay for 2023. I don't think anything's going to change, unfortunately. I still think Lando will be very dominant in that team. And then yeah. I don't think that they're, they're definitely not going to re-sign him for 2024. I think they're just going to run the contract and kind of part ways. It would it would take a Herculean turnaround of of uh, of form because again like you know all in all like credit to Lando I I I think above all this which again I think often gets overlooked you know Lando Lando is the reason that it's looking so bad for Daniel <laughs> like that that car he's delivering so well so consistently in that car um, but I, I do you've got to think like at the moment with the performances going the way they are and, and the consistent... Because I've got to say, like, the first three races of the year, Daniel was pretty close to Lando. It, it was actually... There wasn't actually much in it. They had their 5-6 in Australia. You know, Daniel was running close in Jeddah. Maybe a bit lucky there, but, and, you know, Bahrain was a shit show for both of them. So I, I, I think that the, it, it, the first few races, I was like, oh, okay, this is actually looking a bit better. So you've got to wonder that, you know, is that Lando, Lando settling into the car now and starting to deliver these results perhaps? And you, you've got to wonder how much this, you know, these poor times are affecting Daniel's kind of desire and enjoyment, I guess, because you, you've, you've got to imagine he's a character that, you know, he races because he loves racing. And I'm sure that's the case for most of these guys. But, you know, when the, it, because he's already made that jump away from a top team to go for something new and then jumped again, you know, is he prepared to then do another jump to say, I don't know, who who would take him a, a Williams or an Aston Martin? Maybe I don't know. Like, would he be pre pre prepared to do that? And would the team had have faith that they've got a driver who can extract what they can from their package? I'm not so sure. So, I, I I'm still kind of, I don't think Daniel will be in that seat next year. But other than that, I don't blame I, you. Again, I'm I'm so on the fence with it. I don't know what's I don't know what's going to, what's going on in his head. Like the fact that we now know that it is kind of his choice. It's it's all about where does he feel happy next year? What does yeah. he want from his life in Formula One? So yeah, we're going to find out. But either way, it's not good to see anyone struggle. Obviously, especially you know such a light no. driver. But Lando's doing the business, and I feel like as the car has gotten better, Lando's performances have easily risen. Like we can see, you know, yeah, for sure. And especially that it's just that weekend in Imola. That's the one point where I go back to. The car clearly was working in those in those conditions. Lando gets the gets a podium in that race, mm. and Daniel Ricciardo crashes out. I think, but like on the second corner when there was well, a big science, result on the it? table. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I kind of put Daniel a little bit more at fault with that science incident, yeah, and just mentally sure. that is a big pounding. And I think that's kind of where it kind of started to go wrong this year. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, writing's on the wall in terms of McLaren contracts for next year. But I, I, I guess another driver, and the, the driver we're putting in the title of this podcast, um, who's been struggling a lot recently, and oh boy. I, I think there's a big conversation here, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him. But also, there's a broader conversation. I think because you know, Sebastian Vettel's talked about how you know he feels like people are talking too much about Mick and and putting too much pressure on him. Um, but at the end of the day, Mick Schumacher has had a in in a house that is looking, you know, in the hands of Kevin Magnussen, who was called late, late, late on in the game, um, jumped into the seat. 
in terms of pace, I think he's had the slight edge on Mick. It's not been a huge golf, I don't think. Not massive, but it's the mistakes in the cost cap era that are costing Haas not just points, but a hell of a lot of money. It's like, what do you think? Where, where do you sit with Mick Schumacher at the minute, Aldas? Do you think we've been too critical or do you think it's uh, it's a fair conversation to have? I think, first of all, with all respect to Seb, like we have to take what he says with a massive pinch of salt. He has that relationship with Mick, so he's always going to come to the defense. And, you know, yeah, right, so, you know right, right on it. Yeah. Uh, I'll disagree a little bit on the fact that I don't think the pace actually has been that close, to be honest. Like, how many times have we seen Kevin Magnussen in qualifying? You know, he's in he's in kind of Q3 fighting with the likes of Bottas and Lando, and then Mick is out in Q2, and it kind of, especially in the races, actually, you know, even if in qualifying he does sometimes get into yeah. Q3, something about the race just is not coming together, whether it's mm. the way the car drives, whether it's something to do with the tires, and then those mistakes. I mean, it definitely... In terms of the question of, you know, are we just being a bit too harsh on Mick? Absolutely not. And is it quite quite tough on him? Absolutely, because that's Formula One. Simple as that. You know, when when drivers start underperforming, and especially when they start having crashes in a cost gap, you know, in a cost gap Formula One, that is not what you want. And what I've always said, actually, is that he's not having scrapes. He's already, no. like, he's already no. binned two chassis in the space of a third of a season. He's like, not having that scrapes, out. That's, that's one way of putting it, mate. He's definitely exactly. not having scrapes. <laughs> I mean, it's um, every single time he's had a crash, it's just like your heart just stops like, oh my God, yep. like, you're just hoping he's okay, and he is, but it's not just the, it's not just the crashes, it's the performances, you know? If he was getting into the points consistently, but yes, having the odd crash there and there, you can kind of let it slide, like, you know, he's still a young driver, he's only in his second season, he's in his kind of first season in a decent car, so maybe there's a bit of that, but the performance is not there, the pressure is going to come with, obviously, you know, the name as well, which I don't, it doesn't yeah. really, you know, I don't really think about it too much, uh, but it's just not good enough, and especially for a team like Haas, where... To me, they have underdelivered for so many years. Like when you look at the cars that they've yeah. had for years and years, like all, there's always something that goes wrong with that team. And I feel like they need maybe more experience. And yeah, Mick, it's just not working out. It's just not working out. And I, I've, I said it in the last podcast, I think he's gone for 2023 now. You know, maybe it will turn really? around. But just like with you know, just like with Ricardo, like what signs have we seen that something might turn around? Like I just haven't seen any glimpses, which is a bit disappointing because I know his rookie season is hard to judge, but. I thought at least there was like some signs that he could do a good job, but yeah, I, I was wrong. And again, I, I don't think he's going to be there next season, unfortunately. I, I, I do think it is, I think his rookie season is kind of an exceptional thing to look at in terms of like, you've got a, a teammate who has less experience than you, um, who can't drive to save his life. And you're kind of in a car that is nowhere near like nowhere near, it's it's miles off the back. I mean, I remember when, you know, it was was at Silverstone and, you know, you could see, you could see seeing it in person, just how oh, far yeah. off the pace those two Hasses were. And that was actually a weekend when Nikita got the better of Mick. Um, you know, th they were just so far off the back, so few opportunities to to fight, to, to even, you know, fight relative to your teammate because he was just slapping him up every weekend. And, you know what I mean? Like, also, these new cars, it's not like Mick was carrying any car knowledge any more than anyone else because it's a, it was a fresh, you know, fresh slate for this year. These cars are very, very different to drive. So I, I do think, you know, compared to someone like Joe Guan Yu, you know, the amount of value he will be getting from this rookie season with a teammate like Valerie Bottas with the amount of experience he's got. Um, and also, you know, already in these cars, you know, already raced on the 18-inch rims in F2 last year, which 
maybe did help a little bit because you know the transition to these tires you've got to think they've taken he's probably taken some knowledge from that so, so i do think you know it's almost like in in terms of actual value that mick got from his rookie season he got so little compared to the typical rookie season in my opinion so i think that does account for some of this because again he didn't have a teammate to fight with really at all all season um these cars are just, so i yeah, maybe I'm just sitting there making excuses, but but I do think that that is a that is a fair factor, and I think that um, that has had an impact on his performances this year. But yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, I mean the the pace, yeah, it hasn't been great. I I still think I still think he's got raw talent, he's got raw ability, raw pace there. But do you just think it's a case of like overdriving because you've got to think like a team like Haas as well, they're not even operating. I, I very much doubt they're operating at the budget cap. They're still probably quite a bit underneath it. So they can afford less than anyone to be writing off chassis every weekend. So do you think it's a case of Mick overdriving? Do you think Gunter's you know, going to... Surely Gunter's got to have a word because this isn't just yeah. about, you know, Mick's future at the team. This is about the future of the team. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, the, the, like him crashing affects KMAG as well because there's less budget for the team. It's absolutely... and. It's definitely overdriving. Like even when you look at the um, the incident in Jeddah, the reason he crashed is because two corners earlier he missed the apex, went wide, and he was catching it the entire way. The car was unstable yeah. by the time he got to the kind of mm. the corner where he spun out, and that's it. It was gone, and that was his. It was his mistake. You could see from a few corners back. Well, Fernando and Carlos almost did the same thing, but they had yeah. the experience to know when to save it and didn't yeah. put it in the wall. Exactly, and again in Monaco, I think he put a wheel kind of over just out of that. Uh, yep. That dry line, and we know at that point, I mean, it's gone. So I think he is overdriving. He's getting a bit desperate. I think it's a mental thing. I think now Haas kind of needs to... Gunther Stein is going to be tested as well because, again, I've criticized Mick. Sure. I've criticized Haas. How many times have, have we talked about Gunther Steiner and, you know, kind of our thoughts around him in terms of what he's what he's been able to kind of extract out of this team as the, as the team principal and some of the choices that he's made. So he is going to be tested now. He needs to kind of get his driver back in the zone. Yes, give him a bit of kind of a hard time in terms of like you know, you've got to stop this crashing. Like, even if you're not going to do, you know, even if you're not going to put, put out good results, stop crashing and stop making mistakes, you know, get go slower and kind of build up your pace, uh, you know, across the season. And maybe that last half of the season, everything's just going to come together. But he's going to be tested in terms of how he's going to manage Mick at the moment because he's still got to get to the end of the season. There is still a big constructors battle to be had in that midfield with the likes of McLaren, Alpine, sure. Alfa Romeo. So it's, it's an interesting one for this team. But again... Mick is definitely a good driver. You don't win Formula 3 and Formula 2 without having talent, but it's just something's not quite clicking. And I feel like whether the pressure is too much, whether the environment isn't quite right, or maybe it's just the shock of K-Mag coming in. Maybe but maybe we still go back to Bahrain and like how good K-Mag was, but it's a different Because K-Mag is, is very good. Like, I, I, as much as he did very good. You know, come back late on, it wasn't, he wasn't just sat on the sofa watching TV last year. Like, he was racing in like, IMSA in, in the States. Like, did a great job. They, Daytona 500 probably should have won that. I, I was watching that. I was gutted for him when his car kind of pulled up towards the end. And, and I think that, again, it's another instance that, you know, I think K-Mag is a thoroughly underrated driver. And when Mick, you know, in with his, this kind of, not great rookie season, didn't really learn much from that rookie season that he could carry into this year. Came out coming back with all his experience. I think that's really, yeah, again, that's kind of amplifying the difficulty with, with Mick. And and like you said before as well, like I, I do think the name, the name tax almost, like there's a reason Mick didn't run 
as Mick Schumacher when he was in karting. He, he I think he used his, his mum's name um, because he didn't want that, you know, they didn't want that attention. He didn't want that expectation. And now obviously he's in the big time. And, and yes, he did deliver in, in the junior formulas. Did he have a Primer underneath him? I mean, you know, there's 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 rumours as to how much the Primer maybe got a little bit of a buff. I don't know. But at the end of the day, Mick did deliver. And I think even in his first year, you know, there were times where he looked, you know, pretty sharp and he just, you know, even in his F2 winning season, it wasn't like he was winning races every weekend. He was just always on yeah. the podium. He, was he wasn't super, great I just, in qualifying, I remember. Yeah. He wasn't great in quality. I think it was the consistency in the races yes. that kind of won in the championship. Kept his nose clean, didn't he? Yeah. And it was quite close between him and Callum Eilat. Mm. It was no, it was, and, and you look, Callum's obviously gone to Indy mixing in, and I think Callum Marlott's a fantastic driver as well. I, I do think you know, I would have actually given. In it, I, I said this at the time, but I, I think Marlott probably had the edge because um, he, you know, he delivered more consistently. I felt and just got super unlucky a, a few times. Um, but yeah, it's one of them that I, I think you know Hass are going to do their best. Obviously, it's the Ferrari connection. He's a Ferrari driver academy. Ferrari want to see him do well. I don't think there's that same pressure now on science because I remember when, you know, Mick, uh, was it Mattia Bonato said that, oh, we're lining up Mick for like 2024 or something like that or 2025, which This was before science had even like made his Ferrari debut yeah, in 2021. Like, Cheers, Mattia. Was already like, Thanks, mate. Yeah, you know, in 2024, we're kind of looking at Mick, you know, kind of lining up the future and science is just there like, I, I haven't even driven a Grand Prix for Ferrari yet. So yeah, massive kind of pressure. Yeah, it, it's good to have that pressure off science's shoulders that, yeah, Mick is just, he's not going to be in a Ferrari anytime soon. Like, well, we can't but, see but, it. Exactly. But but where do you think it's going to go for, for, for Haas and for Mick? Like, what do you think is going to happen next year? Do you think they're going to re-sign him or are they going to move on? And who are they going to take, actually? Because I'm sure, like, there's plenty of drivers, like, whether it's Formula 2 or other F1 drivers that are going to want to be in that Haas if it's that good next year. Yeah, because I, I think if, if, the ha if Mick was just a little bit slow, which he is, like, relative to K-Mag, like... Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's not as quick as K-Mag. But I, I do think he's shown, you know, he was only a 10th off in Monaco qualifying. Like, I think there's been those instances where he's looked pretty close. But it's the fact that he keeps spinning it. And it's like, you know, last year we had, what, Sonoda was shunting it a lot. You know, Schumacher was arguably shunting it more than Mazepin. Um, as much as Mazepin was slow, like, he was arguably shunting it more and causing that team more damage. And I, and I think, you know, Yuki seems to have settled down and, like, turned that around and... Mick hasn't, which is concerning because as much as, like I say, like he, he didn't get that much value from his first, his, from his rookie season, he still had, like he still had the time working with the team, with the personnel, understanding, you know, how to set these cars up because that's a huge thing as well. It's not just about raw driving ability. It's about being able to set a car up in the way you like and the way the car likes to maximize the output. And Again, I, I just think that lack of experience is showing. And I, again, would, if things carry on the way they do, if, Mick's, if Mick doesn't have another another big shunt this year, if he doesn't have one more big shunt, then I reckon he's fine for next year. But if he keeps shunting it, then I think he's gone, I'm afraid. What about you? Yeah, I, I think he's gone. I just don't... I, it's kind of just, to you think he's gone already. Go on. I, I think he's gone. I'm, so, I, I'm predicting it early. I, I don't want to see it because, I, you know, again, he's su everyone is always such a nice guy in Formula One. You know, we'll get to, I'm sure, Nicholas Latifi in a bit as well. Like, all of these guys are nice guys, but ultimately that doesn't matter. Like, if you're not doing a good enough job, it doesn't matter what your name is or anything like that. 
performance is the ultimate metric in Formula One, and he's just not doing a good enough job. The question is, can he recover in that second half of the season? Can he calm down? Because again, we we both believe he has talent. I don't think he's just you know just turned of up course. because of his name. He does have driving talent, but can he now kind of actually use that in Formula One and kind of really focus his energy on not making mistakes and kind of get in the right frame, both mentally and maybe physically as well? But yeah. that's the job of the team and Gunther Steiner to get his drivers in the right frame of mind and make sure that the team is behind them. Make sure that the driver's ego For is sure. really high, you know, that he has that confidence in the team and the backing of the team. But, uh, you know, if he still is not able to perform after the team kind of put an arm around him, then mm. well, what more can they do? All Gunter can do is give him the environment to thrive and succeed. And I think yeah. K-Mag's, you know, performances have shown that, you know, he knows that team very well. Again, that that's he knows that team very, very well. So... And they know him. They know how he drives. So I think that's really helped that transition for Kamo. But yeah, Schumacher needs to he needs to step up because because again, I I think the criticism has been all in all because I, I think whenever we're talking about these drivers, you know, there's always the conversation of oh you're being too harsh on them or blah blah blah. And it's like I don't know. I you know this is this is top tier sport. I think without fans, the sport doesn't exist. And as fans, it doesn't matter what sport you follow. We discuss, you know, when drivers are doing well, when drivers are doing bad. We're just not, not just drivers, any athlete. You know what I mean? And and, and I feel like, I feel like it's just the way that because you know some people uh, you're being unfair on Ricardo, you're being too harsh on Schumacher, and it's just like I understand that. And, and obviously, there's always a limit. You know, once you start getting unnecessarily personal unless you're obviously clearly joking of course um like we we're we, joking we, in f1 surely we, not oh how dare you washed but I, I just think you know it's one of them conversations that i just think you know with the consistency i think i think for both drivers because because you know do i think that certain you know fan bases are very quick to pass judgment on drivers sure but i think ricardo and schumacher this has been consistent now and I mean, another driver we'll talk about next, I suppose, is is Latifi. Um, in terms of, I, I think for me, if, if I'm going to come out and and actively criticise, because again, like I, I think Spain, for example, Catalonia, because the conditions were so extreme, I don't think you could, I could read too much into that. I think with Monaco, there were so many factors. I wouldn't there read as actually, much into those. If you analyse his Monaco race, yeah. forget the crash, there was a lot of things going on, like. There, there was, was an a overtake that, that he tried around the outside of Albon, I think, going into, like, maybe it was Massonet or something, I forget. Well, yeah, he just turned into him as well. <laughs> just turned into him out of nowhere. Why would you do that? I mean, he damaged his front wing yeah. there, so there's a lot of, I don't know, there was a lot of red flags. I, I'll disagree on Barcelona. It was, I, I totally get what you mean, but he has driven around there a million times because every single yeah. racing driver in a Formula Series has driven around Catalonia. His car was quick. Like, K-Mag, he was battling with Lewis. Like, you know, that was a bad day for K-Mag. I think that was his fault, that collision. So it could have been a much bigger point score for Haas. But that should have been the opportunity to score his first points. And again, we haven't even, we haven't even mentioned it. Mick Schumacher still doesn't have any points in, uh, oh God, in yeah, 2022. That. And that's that's not good enough. That, that, that's not good enough. So I'm no. not I'm not going to give him that pass in Barcelona. I don't think it was... It's, it was just a poor performance. But again, the next race, you know, forget about what happened in the past get in the right frame of mind and you can still save your seat. Again, I don't think he's going to be there, but there's more than half a season left to go. You know, he could still finish ahead of K-Mag. So yeah, it's not, it's not over until it's over. It's not over. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I think that there's so many factors involved, but ultimately we can only, we can only judge by what we can see because, you know, there's all this, oh yeah, but set up and all that. But you know, the results speak for themselves. And if you're not delivering the results, then your chance, there's only 20 seats in F1. 
you know, it's it's the holy grail for for any driver, I think, coming up in motorsport. So you got to be on top of it. And I guess another driver, you know, we'll, we'll go through, you know, contracts wise through per team now. And I think it makes sense to also talk about Williams because there is a lot of pressure on Nicholas Latifi at the moment. Um, it's what his third season in the sport. Um, I, I do think, you know, I, I think, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, of my album bias, but I do think that after such a difficult 2020, I think that the reputation of Alex really dropped for a lot of people. And actually, when you look at his 2019 season, his junior career, I think he was always, you know, fighting up towards the top. George Russell's talked about this. And I think that having a driver who is, you know, not as good as George, I don't think Alex is as good as George, definitely not, but he's not a million miles off, you know, has made, you know, he's, he's not a mug. He's jumped into that seat, done a fantastic job because he is clearly a very good racing driver and clearly well ahead of Nicky. And I just think this, there was always the, there was always with George and, and Nicky together at Williams, there was always the whole like, oh yeah, but George could just be the next, like next best thing. He could be the next Jim Clark. He could be the next at center. Like he could be that, that good. Um, and I think, you know, we're seeing him do a real job this year in the Mercedes. Um, but then you were like, oh, so she give Nicky benefit of the doubt, you know, second, second in F2, wasn't it? In his last season um, after three years in there. But now Albon coming in, you know, Nicky's been shunting it as well. Not earlier on in the season anyway. And, Look, again, there's no smoke without fire. I do think you, we know why he's there. You know, Savina plastered in the back of that car. And the results haven't been there to 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 make the, the noise go away, have they? I should just really quickly, because in terms of the Williams uh, situation, they technically don't have any drivers uh, signed on for 2023 at the moment. Uh, really quickly on the Albon side. True. He's been incredible. True. Uh, nothing short of incredible. The way he's come in is just, I mean... I backed him. We've done video. We did a video on my channel where we, but you know, I backed him to do a good job. There was a lot of people going, oh, but you know, Red Bull 2020, you know, is he, is he actually a decent driver? But he's come in and shown exactly what he is. A quality driver. I'm not saying world champion. I don't even know if Alex is ever going to win a race in his career, but he's a quality driver. I'd cry. And the, I'd cry. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and the gap between him and Latifi in terms of qualifying, it's embarrassing. I think it's like one point. I think it's the second largest gap on the grid outside of Bottas you, you carry and, on talking I'll, see if I, I'll find the average qualifying gaps in 2020 you carry on mate. yeah it's it, I think it's embarrassing and like you can just see visually that it's like that it's just not good enough every single qualifying it's like 8 tenths 8 tenths 6 tenths a second like over so yeah in terms of like what Alex has done he's ex he's not exceeded my expectations because that's how good I thought he was going to be but uh yeah in terms of the Alex side I'd actually if I was the team I'd double down and I'd back him now I'd, I'd say Alex you've come in and you've actually delivered on what we expected you to do I'd give him a two-year contract now. I'd give him the confidence, exactly like Alfa Romeo did to uh, did to uh, Valtteri Bottas. I'd give uh, I'd give Albon the two-year contract until 2024 and go. You are the figurehead of our team at the moment. You are the number one driver, and I'd give him that backing and that confidence. In terms of Latifi, money doesn't actually win you races. Drivers do. Obviously, money can help massively with the development of the car and the team, but. There's just nothing with Latifi. Like, uh, people always tell me about, you know, oh, he was good there. He was, you know, he had a few things. He was unlucky there, but he's just not been good enough, man. He's just not been good enough. I haven't seen anything. He is still behind Nico Hulkenberg in the Drivers' <laughs> Championship. I mean, what is even going on? So, yeah, I'm not going to go... He's still 21st in a 20 driver Championship. Exactly. I mean, I I'm not going to go too in on him. I just don't <clears> think he's good enough for Formula 1. If you're, if you're not good enough to be 
in the back marker team, well, not the back marker team, but if you're not good enough to be in the team that's at the back of the grid, I think that pretty much says it all. And I think it's time for them to move on because I think what they've seen in Albon is that Albon doesn't really bring any money. He doesn't bring any Red Bull money, but a quality driver is going to get you results and ultimately a pay driver. We know exactly what Latifi's ceiling is, unfortunately. And it's not, I don't think yeah. it's going to let, it's, I don't think it's going to allow Williams to progress. <clears throat> they need a much more quality driver. That's what's going to get them the points. That's what's going to motivate the team to get them further up the grid. And yeah, Latifi, I'd, yeah, I, I'd, he's not going to be there. In my opinion, I'd get rid of him for 2023. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, yeah, Alex is bringing, like, I think he's got one, um, you know, tyre-related Red Bull sponsor yeah. coming with him. But they're not, I don't think It's not the Safina like, money, huge, that's for sure. No, it's not front and centre on that car, for sure. And, and, and I think, you know, whenever we're looking at drivers who have consistently struggled, I think it's fair to also look at the team and, and try and be like, okay, how much of this is is the team not, you know, giving the environment to the driver for them to to succeed? Um, but at the same time, then you, you look at that Williams team, you know, especially what 20 from 20 started in kind of 2020 when obviously George um, started to really kind of step up. And, you know, last year, I just think that, you know, this is a team that George was able to put that car, you know, what on the front row in Russia in, in changeable circumstances like Spa, fantastic qualifying, was able to get, you know, the points Podium. in the end, obviously, to capitalise, although Latifi got the points first, which is ironic. <laughs> big up, big up Nicholas. But, uh, you know, so so with all that and, and with the, the performances, Alex, because, you know, I mean, he's, you've got to remember, like, Alex has got two point scoring finishes and one P11. So in seven races, that's like almost half of the races he's been on the cusp, whereas Nicky's not looked close and Nicky's got all this understanding and all this uh, work, has worked with this team for so long. They understand him and how he drives. You had that really um, feels bad man team radio, didn't you? Where they were like, oh, follow Alex, you might learn something. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, that, honestly, like oh, maybe we're, no. we're reading too much into it, but that, that says it all. I mean, that's when you've been at the team, you're the experienced yeah. driver. You're the guy that's been there for three years yeah. and the team go, you know, follow, follow Alex. Maybe you can learn something from him. I think that kind of, I think that actually kind of tells you in terms of like, they know he's not getting anywhere near like the limit of that car. And he doesn't quite, he doesn't have either the, the ability or the capabilities in terms of the confidence in the car to, to be anywhere near its peak in 2022. So, and I, I'd argue that he, he wasn't like that in 2020 or 2021. So he's never going to be able to kind of reach the capabilities of that Williams. And that's why I think that they're, they're losing trust in him. Yeah, because I mean the gap's like over half a second, like average average quality gap, um, which is uh, and it's kind of <clears throat> it's what it's one of them because like Nicky's been. I think there was one quality session where he was only it was weird. There was there was one quality session where he was like two hundredths of a second behind Alex, so he was still behind, but not by much. But again, I I think that you know when we're looking at these stats, it's it's very difficult because you know when I, I know I know we're the same like when we're looking at these things and these stats ultimately I, i'm not really interested in like in the numbers i'm more interested in what those numbers actually tell us and for example say you set a lap time but then you don't do a second run your teammate does a second run track evolution they go a bit quicker and then that gap's smaller like you know what do we actually learn from that gap it's it's difficult but at the end of the day the consistency in which that alex has been outperforming nikki like you say he he's the he is the driver with experience at that team as well. You know what I mean? Like Nicky's been there the entire. He's been twenty twenty all the twenty twenty at Williams, all the twenty twenty one at Williams, helping with the development of this new car. So 
there is no excuse. And, and and I think, like you say, you know, he hasn't got a contract. You do wonder, you know, obviously with Derilton now, they've, they've come in with their investment. You know, they tried out Nick DeVries in FP1 and he did go faster than Nicky. Now, obviously, don't get me wrong, there's a huge amount of context to that those numbers, which we don't know and it we don't see. It still doesn't look good though, does it? Exactly. I mean, I, I, it doesn't I, I understand, I understand the, the context, don't get me wrong, mm. but the team, as far as I saw, because I tried to read everything I could, like, the team yeah. didn't say, oh, you know, Latifi did not do any, like, quality runs. They were both on the soft tire, and out of nowhere, DeVries comes in, and I think it was, like, two, maybe a tenth or two quicker. So, whatever you want to read into that, it just, it just it's not a good look. It's not a good vibe Correct, for Latifi yeah. and the team. Like, when you come into the garage, and the guy, the, you know, the Friday driver who's never driven in Formula 1 before is quicker than you out of nowhere. Like, it's just... Not a good well, it look, creates, regardless it, of the context. It gives us, like, as people who talk about the sport, as fans who talk about the sport, it gives us, you know, it gives us something to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, it's if, if Nicky had gone, you know, half a tenth quicker, we probably wouldn't have mentioned. We did. Oh, oh well done, DeVries. He was close, but the fact he went quicker, like you say, it doesn't look good. It gives us, it gives us fuel almost. You know what I mean? To talk about these things, which if you don't give us fuel to talk about stuff by delivering and outperforming and doing well then there's no you don't get burnt you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean but what do you think like well where are you at in terms of like latifi next year like i i'm guessing that you kind of agree with me but who do you think yeah. should take his place or what are williams's options because of course anyone wants to be in formula one but i don't obviously logan Sargent. i'm a big fan of him i think that we'll see how his season progresses and i think they're going to keep a very close eye on him but like, I, I do think they need actually someone more experienced. I do think they need someone with Formula One kind of two experienced drivers, you know, Albon and then someone else perhaps that could really be a good lineup for next year. But where are you at in terms of like yeah. next year, their, their next year's lineup? Well, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Logan as well. I think he's delivered, uh, it's been difficult. It, it, his F2 season's kind of been a bit up and down, but it is his rookie season in F2. So I think he's, you know, Felipe Djokovic is just slapping it up. So I would love to see Logan in that seat eventually, but I completely agree. I, th I think, you know, Williams... It's been really disappointing, of course, like, you know, for them to be struggling as much as they have over recent years, new regulations to still probably be the slowest car is it got to be disappointing. Um, and if they do want to move in a you know positive trajectory, I think they do, you know, have to fall back on experience. I don't know. Is it a driver like maybe do they try and bring him out again? Nico Hulkenberg, ex-Williams, of course, used to be at the team. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what options because um, I think there are a lot and I do think they need experience. I, I think as much as Alex does bring some experience, I think having two drivers with experience is only going to help push that car development forward at a quicker rate. But I think that, you know, it just depends. I, I, I think whether or not Nicky's in that seat for next year is not a driver-related thing. It's a commercial, it's a, it's a money. You know, how much do Safina bring? How much does his dad's, you know, how, how, how bump, reliant are they, they on that money? You know, that maybe they even bump it up, like in terms of like the money that he brings to the team, like maybe. maybe that's his only bargaining chip. But I just go back to the performance thing, like give Williams whatever money you want. Brilliant. Still only one driver is going to be delivering points for that team. And, you know, in, in the context of 2022, at least, or where they're And, and also, now, like, you know, Ferrari proved for years that money isn't the be all and end all. Like they haven't won a yeah. driver's title since 2007, a constructor since 2008. And for the last kind of, I don't know, like Ferrari have always been the richest team in F1 because they've always got this bumper payment and they've always, you know, they've got that facility. Just, you know, just having that isn't... But again, I suppose as well, 
you look at a driver like I don't know maybe we, it's maybe it's overly critical but you look at science and Perez uh, obviously science is struggling this year I think Ricardo is a good example I guess of just bringing in a driver with experience doesn't guarantee success I don't think you can ever guarantee yeah, success right it's always course. a roll of the dice but I, I think you've got more chance of of developing a good car moving forward with a driver with experience coming in and I think you know again Nico's been at the team before uh, who do you think who, who do you think to be would fair be good? yeah I mean in hindsight when you know when I said you know maybe they should bring in an experienced driver like actually the more I think about it again of course there is no guarantee and ultimately maybe they do need like another you know Formula 2 hot shot like you know, what is it? Um, Oscar Piastri, he has absolutely zero Formula 1 experience and I would ab- I'd absolutely... Mate, if that opportunity Williams. came up for Oscar, oh, for Williams, sorry, to get him, I think that's a no-brainer, surely. The only kind of weird thing, and I've talked about this for, for quite a while now, is that obviously he's owned by Alpine and they're going to want to kind of keep ownership of Oscar Piastri and it's like, what's the point of, for, you know, what's that point for Williams? Unless they have him 100%, no more ties to Alpine, which they don't want to let him go. You know, that's a That's what I mean. It, it's how, how watertight is that contract? This whole podcast exactly. is about contracts. How, you know, Piastri's contract. We, we just don't know. Like, what is the, you know, could he be bought out? You know, all this talk of McLaren. Could McLaren buy him out and, and bring him in alongside Norris? Could, because yeah. you've got to think like, if, if, if Fernando does stick, which we'll talk about Alpine next, I suppose, you know, because I think, you know, we've got, I think, you know, like we say, Latifi, we probably wouldn't renew his contract for next year. Albon, definitely. But yeah. Alpine, I think now it's a good segue to them because, you know... Very, very odd situation for them, by the it, way. Yeah, because I, I think Ocon's safe. Like, I think he's done a very good job this he's year. He's got a contract. I, I think, he's confirmed, yeah. He's got his contract as well. But obviously that doesn't... If he was driving bad, that wouldn't necessarily guarantee his future. But he's driving well. He's got his contract and he's French, which I'm sure helps at the French team. Um, Fernando is driving well. Very well. If not, I think he's driving slightly better than Ocon at the moment. Um, bit very unlucky with the points. I think we can all see that. I think Alpine can see that. He's still able to deliver. Um, this is a really tricky one because yeah. I, I understand both arguments really well. But I do think that if Alpine want to prepare for the future, you know, you're only going to get two seasons. Two. You could get maybe 23-24 out of Alonso. And then I feel like if he's still able to keep these levels up into his mid forties, this man is like unreal. Like that, that, that can't be possible. I want to look at his birth certificate, mate, because I, I don't believe that. <laughs> oh, mate, the Alpine. I cannot tell you how many times, like the whole Alpine driver situation has had has had me in a model. Like I don't know what they're going to do because they're in a very, they're kind they of in are. a good situation. Like do you know, a few. I remember a few years ago. I think it was twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Like. Red Bull were actually in a really bad situation because they didn't have decent juniors to put in their team. So it was like, yeah, let's bring in Brendan Hartley. Oh, you know, let's just bring in uh, Daniel Kvyat back because we don't really have anyone in the pipeline. This is a good thing for Alpine because they've actually got three drivers who all are very good. You know, obviously, we don't know what Oscar Piastri actually is, but his stock, you know, his stock in terms of what he is before he's even driven a Formula One car is as high as it's ever going to be. And I don't think unless they can somehow secure him a seat for 2023 in another team, which... Again, is very tricky because in the Williams scenario, as I kind of mentioned, why would you want to bring in an Alpine driver, develop that driver for them, and then he just jumps ship and then you're actually improving that team for the point. future. So it's a very odd situation. So Good unless point. they can somehow get him a seat somewhere else, I think I think Alonso's gone. I actually think I don't, you can't keep Piastri on the sidelines again for 2023. Now, 
ultimately, you know, this bad start to the season for Fernando, in terms of the points, again, you know, the performances, I thought Monaco was, it was a bit telling, I thought. It was a bit of a strange performance in terms of, like, it was a good race, but, like, I think Fernando is now smart enough to look at that championship table and think, like, if I want any chance of staying in Formula 1, I can't rely on bad luck. Like, you can't go into the contract negotiations and say... Gotta make oh, his own know, luck. Exactly. You, oh, you know, I had bad luck there and there and there. I would have had yeah. X amount of points. He can't rely on that. I think he's actually going to now kind of not sabotage Ocon, but I know in the back of Fernando's mind, he's thinking, I've got to outperform this guy. You know, I love Esteban. Yeah. He's great. He's the future. But if I want any chance to stay at this team for 2023, I've got to be on it. So yeah, we're very interested to see how Fernando is going to be going on to kind of the, the mid portion of the season, because something I didn't realize actually, Esteban Ocon... I'm not sure about 2016 when he was in the, uh, when he was in the, what was it called again? The, Mar it wasn't Marussia at the time. I forget what it, uh, Manor. Uh, apart yes. from uh, 2016, he has never beaten a teammate since 2017. He's never beaten a teammate in his Formula One career. Like, again, I forget what happened at Manor, but so yeah, that's going to be a very interesting in terms of how that one, but again, Ocon is confirmed for next year at the moment, but you've got Oscar Piastri on the side. You've got Fernando still performing at a very high level. Like, out of those three drivers, Ocon is the only one with a contract for next year, but what is the ultimate and best driver lineup? Like, is it Piastri and Ocon? Is it Alonso and Ocon? Is it, you know, Alonso <clears throat> and Piastri? So I don't know how this is going to turn out, but my head is telling me that I think Alonso is going to be gone. I, I don't think... If he does actually manage to overcome, because there was a massive points gap between, uh, I think yeah. after a few races between him and Ocon, like, if he does manage to overcome that by the end of the season and beat Esteban, then, I mean, the man's well, just Ocon... insane. At the minute, yeah, Ocon's on 30 points. Alonso's on like, I think 10, 11, something like that. Um, and that's obviously after Alonso delivered the piece, <clears throat> P7 and, the midfield, and no points like, for Ocon. That's chunk, mate, that's heavy. <clears throat> mate, yeah. It, it, and I, I do kind of, because don't get me wrong, like, I, I, think, I think prime Fernando Alonso, like, obviously he walks into any team. And yeah. I think with the potential that Oscar's shown winning back-to-back -back junior championships... Like he's shown more potential than Ocon was showing at that same age. Yes, Ocon did beat uh, Max in GP three, um, which people forget about. But yeah, Max was unlucky as well. I think. I think. I think. You know, talent wise, I think you could see why Red Bull snapped him up because Mercedes was sniffing around. But I just think that you know Esteban has got plenty of experience now. A few different teams as well. I think that you know, I, I agree. I, you know, no one can question. I think Fernando's performances since his returns, like like no one, like I I again I I've I've already taken this L. Like I didn't think he'd be on it when he came back. I was proven. I've enjoyed very, that L very, very wrong. You weren't the only one. Plenty of people enjoyed that. Um, but again, I, I when you've got a driver who's you know almost forty one years old, and you've got a driver who's arguably the next Charles Leclerc, George Russell in terms of you know junior talent ability. Um, could be that. And you've got Ocon, who is, I still think, a very, very good race. And yes, I, may, maybe he's never beaten a teammate. But I think when he jumped in, you know, relative to Perez, uh, you know, race uh, Force India, he was, I thought he was fantastic. Yes, they came to blows a lot. And that was just as much on him as it was on Sergio. I think that was really silly. You look at some of them shunts they had together. But I think, you know, performance-wise, he was he was right up there. I thought he was really close to Sergio. I thought they were pretty even. Um, yes, obviously, you know, got washed by Daniel Ricciardo in 2020, um, picked up towards the end of the season. 2021, I thought was, you know, a very good year for him. You know, got his win, uh, which, you know, capitalised, almost got another podium as well. Like, I, I do think Ocon, 
I think he's a very, very good racer. I, I don't think he's on, you know, I, I'm not rating him on Leclerc, Verstappen, you know, Hamilton, Russell, Norris. I'm not even rating him maybe on their level, maybe slightly down a bit. I don't know. Has he got really the opportunity to really show driver. it? Like, you know, him, he's like, a great driver. If you put him in the same kind of, uh, if you put him in the same team as like a K-Mag or a Bottas, I think it's very close between all three of those guys. Like they're very yeah. solid drivers. So I agree. I think he's on that level. Yeah, he definitely deserves a place in Formula One. And that's why it's a good problem for Alpine to have, but they need to kind of get it right. And again, I just feel like unless they get a C for Piastri, I feel like Alonso's almost... Alonso, I feel, could actually outperform Ocon and he'll still be dropped by the team because Ocon... I go back yeah. to the fact that they gave him that really early contract just before the uh, French Grand Prix and they didn't realise how good Piastri was going to be last year in 2021 in his Formula 2 season. I, like, I do think Alonso's been doing better than Ocon, but I don't think it's been yeah. by much. I, I don't think I don't I don't think we're seeing prime Alonso because I think that is to yeah I, no, I think no. if we're saying we're seeing prime Alonso I think that's to massively underplay how good Alonso was in his prime because he was like one of the greatest of all time I think that he's yeah definitely to in me that prime Alonso I think Ferrari uh, Ferrari Alonso even though he didn't win any championships yeah. like 2010 yeah. 2011 2012 like again that's not even his Renault years that was prime Alonso where he could just literally he was unbelievably consistent but but he's still operating at a ridiculously high level. And like, what about if hypothetically he outperforms, you know, outscores Ocon this year at, what is it, 40 years old? What about if he yeah. outscores Ocon at 41 years old, at 42 years old? Like, you can only, you know, people bring up his age all the time, but if he just keeps on delivering, it's like, it's such a weird situation. You know, oh, he's in the future, but he's still quick now. It's, it's a weird one. I just think that as much as, yes, Fernando, I think he's operating at a level slightly above Ocon. I don't. I, I think when you, the the potential of losing Piastri, who could like he could be the few like he could like if they can give him the car and if he is as good as, it's looking like he potentially could be like he could be, the the current and the future for years and the potential of losing him for the sake yeah. of, and, and it could be any driver right any driver even that you know you could say Seda or Prost or Schumacher, right? At that age, that it's only a matter of time. Like, you know what I mean? It is only a matter of time. And, and that's why I also, I agree. I think that Alonso will depart from Alpine at the end of this season. Because as well, like they've been, they've been getting Oscar. He's been doing, like, they've kept him busy. Like he's been doing stuff. All, I've seen him every weekend, posing in the overalls, doing like F1 TV stuff. Like, They've definitely, they're Dude, definitely. Mate, Mans is doing everything but driving. Like yeah, literally. And, and I think he was doing a test in uh, Austria. I think he did some driving in Austria. I, I feel like in in last year's car. I, I think I saw that on social. Um, yeah. So they are kind of keeping him, which which tells me that again, there there must be a reason they're putting him out there so much um, that they are lining him up for next year, surely. Yeah, and I don't, I, again, I, I'm i not like buzzing to say this, that they're going to drop Fernando Alonso because he's one of my favorite drivers of all time, just in terms of like, just the character. Like, I don't like everything about him. I don't like some of the off-track stuff. I think he's made so many mistakes and just like, he's such a frustrating driver in terms of when that mouth starts opening, like you never know what's <laughs> going to come out. But when he's in the car, visor down, he's just, he's, he's magic to watch and he still is now. But 
Yeah. Magic Alonso. He's box office. He's absolute box office. You don't know what's going to happen from race to race, but the one thing I do actually kind of wish, I mean, again, I want Ocon to be in Formula One also because of the background that he's from. I feel like, you know, he's from a much more middle-class background when you look at some of the other drivers. And I actually think that's really important. I respect his journey. Yeah, I've got Absolutely. a lot of respect for Ocon's journey. He's a quick driver, so I want him to be in Formula 1, but there is a small part of me that wants to see Piastri and Alonso in the same car in 2023 because many young drivers have gone up against Fernando Alonso and their careers have basically ended before they've even started. So I'd love to he, test Piastri right yeah. off the bat against Fernando Alonso because, trust me, Fernando Alonso, something will click in his brain when he sees that young driver up against him. So, yeah, I'd love to see that, but... Again, I don't think he's going to be at Alpine. Maybe he'll still be in Formula One. You know, I'm sure, that, again, there are some teams, you know, like a Williams, like they'd love to get Fernando Alonso if they could, but I don't yeah. think, sadly, that he's going to be at Alpine. But I wouldn't say no that he would beat Ocon this year. I'd, I'd never give up on that because I feel like Fernando, if the luck kind of goes his way, anything is possible. But yeah, for next for next year at Alpine, I am going to go Ocon and Piastri. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree. Maybe Alonso to Williams alongside Albon. That could be because, you know, Alonso's never driven a Williams before. So that could be um, that could be interesting. Um, right. We've got, a, obviously, I think they're the teams with the most noise around contracts, but we will buzz for everyone else as well because um, we've been going for almost an hour now. Out us, mate. We could just talk for ages, honestly. This is I joke. know, right? Um, we're we're let's talk started, about... by the way. So I know, exactly. exactly. We could, like, we're not even halfway through. We've only talked about four teams. Uh, let's talk about Ferrari next because... I mean, there's no conversation around Charles, is there? He's got his long-term contract. He's fantastic. That's. The, I mean, I guess the, the one chink in the armour maybe is the whole, you know, this is the first time that after Monaco that Charles, because, you know, Charles is he's very, um, he's very on it when it comes to himself. Like, he, he, he puts himself down a lot. I am stupid, all that. Like, he, he's very self-critical. Um, but this was the first time we'd really see, I, I, I think, completely fair enough. You know, do you think Charles has the confidence in Ferrari that they can not only deliver a car, but it's just what is going on with the strategy, man? Like, like the fact you've got memes about your strategy means that you need some, I'm sorry, you need some new strategists if you're going to deliver a world title, surely? I know, people have had those memes in the locker since like 2019, Mate, 2020, and they've had to like bring problem. them out. Um, pressure, simple as that. Uh, I don't often agree with Helmut Marco, I must be honest, but... He came out and said that what's going on is pure pressure. And he's totally yeah. right. Uh, Ferrari, have, yep. uh, both Seb and Ferrari bottled it in 2018. We've spoken about that to death. But again, they're just, you know, we're starting to see cracks. And their car is quick enough to win this championship. Like, arguably in terms of raw pace, that car is the quickest on the grid. Maybe the Red Bull on certain tracks can kind of, you know, has a bit more of an advantage. But there is no reason why Charles Leclerc shouldn't have won the Monaco Grand Prix. So yeah, for, I think Ferrari have got the more complete car. But I think, yeah, yeah at, at and in terms of raw great. pace, like once Charles Leclerc gets the job done on a Saturday, like by the time it comes to the Sunday, as long as he gets a clean getaway and kind of gets past that first round of pit stops, unless Red Bull just do a, you know, unless Max Verstappen overtakes Leclerc because his car is just a little bit quicker in the race, we saw in Spain, it should be back-to-back -back Leclerc wins if we're being honest. Like Leclerc should have won in Spain and he should have won at Monaco and for both reliability reasons and for, 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 for Ferrari reasons, try saying that very quick, <laughs> um, it's just not coming together. So again, nothing is over. They don't need to get their heads down. They, they just need to know that we've made these mistakes before. We've made it now in 2022. It's time to just focus in. This is now a proper title battle. Yeah. Red Bull are properly in it. They've got two drivers delivering and, you know, yeah. we're moving over to Baku this weekend where Sergio Perez is a bit of an expert. So 
it's a tricky one. Leclerc still has full confidence, but I think he's starting to realize that winning a championship for Ferrari is just the pressure is just turned up to eleven more than any other Especially team. Especially Mercedes, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And um, but again, that's Matteo Bonotto. That falls on Matteo Bonotto as well. He's the team principal. He chose to have Sainz and Leclerc there. You know, sign Leclerc up to a long-term deal. He needs to deal with it. So yeah, they're going to be tested. Uh, but it's it's a big mountain to climb. And when you have Red Bull, which just as an operation, they're so solid. Like even when I was saying this, even Bam. when they weren't winning championships in 2019 yeah. and 2020, from top to bottom, driver, you know, the team, the the engineers, the guys in the pits, they're such a good organization from top to bottom. So yeah, it's going to be tricky to beat. And then they have Max Verstappen as if like, you know, that's just a footnote yeah. of, the, uh, <laughs> exactly. of the Red Bull well, team. That, that's but... it. I, I think for um, Red Bull's consistency in pit stops over the kind of recent generation of Formula One it is is a prime kind of external um, outcome of how well drilled they are at that team. And yeah, I, I don't think, you know, the Monaco cock up is enough to, I mean, I think, you know, Charles, his future is at Ferrari, regardless, like, I just really hope they don't let themselves, but him down as well, because I think, you know, Charles deserves a world championship, like the, given the, the caliber of driver he is, and what he's been through both on and off track. And I just, I'd love to see him take one. Um, and I really hope that Ferrari are able to kind of hold their side of the bargain. So I, I don't think there's any question around his future. Obviously, Carl Carlos Sainz, he does have a contract. You know, it was extended um, earlier this year, wasn't it? Um, is it to the is end it official, of... actually? Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't remember when it is. Too oh, yeah, exactly. Imola. Sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you follow so, that up with a terrible weekend. By the way, I know, right? It was. It wasn't it like when Ocon got his uh, his his <laughs> contract extension announced last. His performances just fell off a cliff. It was like, oh, no pressure. I could just chill. This is why Toto never gave Bottas a multi-year deal. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Carlos Sainz's future. I still. It has been a difficult start to the season for for Carlos for sure. I guess. I don't think we're anywhere near the, personally for me, like talk of, you know, a science replacement though. I think, you know, he's had some sloppy results, um, but, you know, he had a decent Monaco. He kind of delivered, I think, as much as you could have expected to. And he was, you know, could have won Even the race. He was if he frustrated had a little bit though. Like they had a chance to win with him as well. Like once they screwed up Leclerc's strategy and brought him in when they... Yeah, but that was more they... Latifi, wasn't it? Latifi held him up. Exactly. Yeah, but it was... I forget actually what it was, but they had a chance to win. Even Carlos was not exactly buzzing with P2 because he knew that they kind yeah, of had the uh, yeah they kind of had the chance to win. But yeah, he's picked it up a little bit. Um, I've been disappointed in Carlos. I really thought you know don't get me wrong, I didn't predict him to beat Leclerc in 2022 because I thought I thought that Charles was going to be the champion. Still, obviously, could be, but I really thought Carlos was built for this. You know, when when it comes to racing for a championship, forget it, different level. It's a different level. It's not racing for podiums or racing for, you know, or a fifth or a fourth, you know, how amazing how it is to get those points. When you're racing for wins every single race, when you're racing for a championship, that is a whole different level. And so far, he hasn't shown that he's able to jump to that stratosphere. Leclerc and Verstappen clearly have, but plenty of the season still to go. And I feel like even though I don't think he's going to be a championship contender... I expect him to get two or three wins easily. Like he should be getting two or three wins oh, this yeah. season. So of course, yeah, his, his performances have uh, picked up a little bit. He still has these moments where he crashes out, but we saw that with Ferrari last year. So he is one of those drivers where he can have some accidents, especially in uh, in Ferrari. But unlike Mick Schumacher, he does have the performance. It's just about kind of getting that consistency and really trying to maximize. But it's difficult, man, when you're up against Leclerc and Verstappen, and now Checo all of a sudden has just come to kind of 
He's at he's at his absolute best in a good car. Yeah. It's going to be difficult, but yeah, I don't think we're nowhere near talking about signs uh, leaving Ferrari. So I think we're we're good with that driver lineup for the next yeah. couple of years. I agree, and, and and again, I think when you're fighting at the front as well, there's so much more attention, so much more focus. When you are struggling relative to your teammate, there is more made of it. I think because you're fighting, because you've got more to lose ultimately. Because I think Ferrari, you know, constructors wise, that's the big one where you got to say that I think Sergio Perez at Red Bull who of course, has just had his new contract. Well, he kind of sported, didn't he? He was so excited after winning at Monaco and then getting absolutely battered off of his nut. I don't know if you've seen the videos of him being absolutely yeah, pissed yeah, out of his yeah. mind afterwards. So I was like, I respect it, Sergio. Well done. Um, I did love that comment. He did kind of let it slip a little bit after the he race. Did, didn't he did, didn't he? Because like, he knows like, now that he's won Monaco, you know, there, there could have been you know a couple more mil in the contract. Like, you never know. Uh, but I think that was already signed like pre-Monaco and they, and they thought that let's just announce it now that now that you've got the win, let's just announce it early. So yeah, uh, not too much to talk about in terms of actually really quickly in terms of uh, Red Bull. There's obviously that kind of Alpha Tauri. Maybe we can talk about them uh, together yeah. because Alpha Tauri for don't sure. have any drivers for 2023. But in terms of Red Bull, the car is obviously uh, changed in 2022. It's no longer that pointy front end and kind of a bit more um, unstable at the rear that kind of almost defined that kind of late uh, period of uh, Red Bull, the last kind of generation of balls with the wider cars after 2017. This is a whole different car. It's much more understeery. And what's really interesting now is that there are some races, it doesn't happen a lot, but like we saw in Monaco, there are some races where Checo is genuinely on pace and actually better than Max, which is, I think that's really good to see. You know, it's not, obviously I don't, it's not as if like I'm rooting for Max Verstappen to fail. It's more that I think for the team, it's just really Broad. good to see. Yeah, exactly. Fraud. They got exposed. <laughs> Um, I think it's just good for the team to have both of their drivers perform. I've said it yeah, a million times. Sergio is not a championship contender. Like, even though he's closer on points now, Max is going to be the title contender, maybe even the title winner. But I think it's good for the team and it's kind of good for Max as well. You know, keep him kind of, keep him on his toes because you can get very comfortable with the likes of, you know, Albon and Gasly when they're mm. not able to extract the most out of that car. But yeah, with Checo doing well, Max is obviously well in that title fight, leading the championship. I think it's a no-brainer to re-sign him, and uh, I could, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really happy with both of them, to be honest. I think finally everything is coming together for Red Bull. The car, yeah. Max is absolutely in his championship prime, and even their kind of number two driver is also performing at his absolute best. And yeah, everything is, uh, everything is just coming up Red Bull. I think, yeah, I think these regulations came at, came at a good time because, again, we know we know that a driver like Max, driver like Fernando, they favour kind of a, a dark, even a driver like Ricardo, I think as well, favours kind of a yeah. certain style of car um, that, you know, again, I, I think Sergio was always going to, it was always going to be difficult in 2021 to get anywhere near Max. And, and as much as, again, I think he did a, did a better job than Gasly and Albon for sure. But also he has got that 10 years experience in the sport. So I, I would expect actually, actually, that really from a driver on that. In 2021, he didn't have an amazing first season. There's no doubt about no, it. No, he didn't. No. But I think compared I, to I, I Gasly... think when you compared it to, to Gasly and Albon, it was like, okay, he's done a better job. But actually when you looked at that driver pairing, like if, if you took that context away, if he'd have jumped in straight after Ricardo, then you're, you're not as kind probably yeah. about Sergio's season, right? But I also think that he didn't let his head go down. Like he knew that he was struggling. No. He knew that he wasn't on the pace of science, but we saw little moments with Albon and Gasly that their head was down. You know, we saw him drive For to sure. survive a few clips of like how frustrated they were. Checo always knew that it was a long game. You know, he always knew that. They raced me so hard. Exactly. They raced me so hard. <laughs> oh my god let's just forget about that let's move on Albon is in a better place now but uh, he never let his head down he never let his head go down and that's that experience right there he's he's been yeah. in tough moments in his career no doubt sure. about it I mean he didn't even have a drive 
in 2020 or for 2021. So yeah, he never let his head go down and he deli- and he's delivering now. So yeah, he's getting his just rewards in my opinion. And again, always been a big fan of Checo and I always love to see him win. Yes. I, I Alpha think he... Tauri now. I was going to say, yeah, because I, I think he, he merited the contract extension. You know, in my pre-season driver predictions, I predicted that Gasly would come in because I didn't expect Sergio to do as good a job as he has, to be honest. I, I think he's he's really stepped up. And again, I do, I do think that I agree. I think Max is, is the title protagonist here. And I think Sergio will have these good results, but I don't think it, he'll be able to deliver the consistency that I think Max can um to win a world championship but I think he'll you know he'll win a, he'll win enough races he'll get enough podiums to keep him you know motivated that he has got a chance um because as well like it, you, you never know like with DNF's retirements whatever can happen to Max if Sergio can be there to capitalize which you know Alex and Pierre weren't at the time when they were at Red Bull then I think it's fair game but obviously yes Sergio's contract extension then we look at AlphaTauri then we look at well Quickly, I think Yuki Tsunoda, guaranteed, surely. I think he's stepped up massively this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'll go back to 2021 when he got re-signed. Uh, I think it was at Spa. And he was <laughs> oh, like, yeah. oh, even I was surprised. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, Yuki. I love his, uh, he's brilliant. I, I absolutely I love, love that kid. He's I both fantastic. love and hate his honesty sometimes. It's just so amazing. But yeah, obviously, yeah, Yuki's uh, stepped up. I'm not saying that he's been amazing in 2022, but he's definitely stepped up. He's been a solid driver. Uh, I believe he's actually, is he ahead of Gasly in the championship? I forget now, he is, but... Yep. At the very least, you know, he's done a good job in qualifying as well. Still has a few rough races. I thought Monaco was not the best showing from him. But yeah, glad to see Yuki kind of improve and kind of get with the program because I thought it was actually a little bit embarrassing how underprepared he was in 2021 for Formula One, you know, to come to the echelon of motorsport, the absolute top tier and to be underprepared both mentally and physically. It's not a good look, but he's got a different mindset now in 2022. And yeah, he's definitely done a good job to at least deserve an extension for 2023 now. I think that's I think that's pretty odds on. But Gasly is, is the conversation, isn't it? It's, do you know what? Obviously, yeah, in terms of like just the black and white, of course, Gasly's still doing a good enough job to get an extension. But what's the point? I just I, I just yeah. don't see the point of him being there again. What's the value? Quite honestly, and I, I've said this in my video, I mean, if I was Gasly's agent or if I was Pierre Gasly, I'd be absolutely knocking down the door of Zach Brown to say the moment Ricardo, you know, the moment Ricardo says that he wants to leave next year, get me in that seat. I'll do whatever it takes. Like the Kool-Aid guy, just bosh. Oh yeah. (laughs) Because, and he just needs to move on. Gasly needs to move on, man. Because also it's just looking a little bit, you know, Gasly's stock is unbelievably high, but as Yuki gets better, that Gasly stock will just start coming down a little bit Mm. and that'll make his chances of going to another team kind of decrease just a little bit. But at the moment he's fine. He needs to get out of Alpha Tauri next year. I've, I've had enough of him. Like, he's just, it's just stalling his career. <laughs> I've, had stall- I've had enough of Pierre Gasly at, at like, Alpha Tauri. He's too good for that team. Like, we're not, we're not seeing his career progress. Like, it just feels like we're at the back end of, like, 2019. Like, it's just all over yeah. again. But, yeah, he needs to get out. I think, again, McLaren, I think, is the number one choice for Pierre. Certainly, if I was Zach Brown and Daniel Ricciardo said, I'm out for next year, Gasly is the absolute number one choice for me. But... Even going to, you know, somewhere like Aston Martin, potentially, like, I just think, I think Pierre just needs to get the hell out of there because he's a quality driver. And I don't think we're still seeing the best of him. Like, we don't know where he's going to be great at. We don't know what he can achieve in his own environment with his own team. So very interesting uh, kind of summer ahead in terms of the uh, driver market for Pierre Gasly. But yeah, I am going to go in terms of next year for Alpha Tauri. I'm going to go for Yuki Tsunoda and potentially one of their other F2 stars that maybe they want to give a chance to the likes of, you know, Daruvula or maybe even Vips uh, as well. Yep, because they've got a lot of stock coming through the 
But I, I completely agree. Like, AlphaTauri is the only team with... and They can talk about sister team as much as they like, but they're never going to be allowed to get to the level of a Red Bull. That's not what they want. I, I mean, I do wonder long-term... You know, do you, I guess that's a separate conversation. How long do Red Bull continue to support a second team? How long do they see it as as a valuable commodity to have in the sport? I guess, you know, AlphaTauri, their clothing line, it's probably worthwhile now because they're getting, you know, Tor Rosso, yeah. it was just another way of promoting Red Bull, whereas they actually have a another product to push through that. And so, mate, we both know, I mean, especially you, like that AlphaTauri clothing, like their prices... Mate, but that entire team is just pay drivers looking at how much they're charging for those clothes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Jesus. Uh, to be fair, they've, they've stepped it up with some of the, the garments recently in terms of the they look a bit nicer. They're not quite as Euro trash as they used to be. But yeah, the prices are extortionate. Don't get me wrong. And yeah, like, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, Pierre's done, had a fantastic, what, two and a half years after he lost his Red Bull seat, coming back, had a great end to 2019. Fantastic 2020, fantastic 2021. I thought he was in the conversation for driver of the season for both seasons, in my opinion. I mean, you look at his qualifying last year was an absolute joke. I think that AlphaTauri car isn't as competitive as it was last year, unfortunately for him. And he has had, hasn't had as strong a start as we've expected. Again, I think, you know, these new cars, I think Yuki's stepping up. There's a lot of factors involved in that. I still think, like you say, stock is, is sky high. And I think, yeah... An opportunity at McLaren has to be his his best bet. I do wonder if you know Pierre was to go to. Let's just in hindsight, not in hindsight, it hasn't happened yet. In uh, <laughs> if Pierre was to go to McLaren, um, obviously stepping into a team alongside a younger teammate who's very embedded, knows that car very well, driving right at the ceiling. Kind of flashbacks to Red Bull, Verstappen. Norris McLaren maybe could be a bit concerning. Whereas if he did go to a Aston Martin, maybe he could take more of a team leader role, which is what I do think he would want because he, you know, he's, he's 26 now, I think is, uh, you know, he's not old, but he's not getting any younger either. So I think, you know, if he can, if he can go to a team where he can really give himself, which is again, is why I think it was such a mistake for Ricardo to leave Renault because he was out and out number one driver at that team could build and move and could have taken that momentum forward. I think Gasly, as much as, yes, he does have that out for Tari, because there is that enforced ceiling, I think he should be looking for options elsewhere, surely. He should, yeah. But where is he going to go? I mean, like, I don't think he wants to make a sideways move to maybe like a... I feel like with Aston Martin, there, there's always this, like, potential in 2024, 25, 26 of what they could become. And Pierre yeah. definitely could be at that team for that, you know, for that length of time. I don't think he wants to make a backwards like step to Williams or a sideways step to like a, again a Haas, but McLaren is again a step up in terms of like where they could go in the future. So it's yeah, again it's it's a tricky one. It all depends like what doors open up, but he might just end up in the same situation that he's been at in the, for the last two and a half years, where he's kind of like boxed out because there's nowhere to go. So yeah, the onus is going to be I think on other drivers. I don't think, I don't think it's even in Pierre Gasly's hands, but. Even for Alpha Tauri, he's never going to go back to Red Bull. Like, we've both heard m plenty of stories that the relationship just isn't good, like, in terms of, like, what happened there. So I don't think he's ever going to be in that Red Bull. But it's like, do you just keep him on there? Because, of course, you want your team to perform. Like, you can't let Alpha Tauri, you know, just for a laugh, be at the back of the grid with a bunch of rookies because you want to develop them. Like, you still need the team to do well and perform. Yeah. So having Gasly in there is always a solid option. But for Pierre, I think, like, it's kind of out of his hands. But... 
I'm not but quite again, sure where he's going to be. But, but you say that. I do think if, if, if there's any team on the grid where they could just, for a laugh, just have a couple of rookies, it's that team. Because Red Bull... You know, Red Bull bankroll it. I'm not being funny. Like, what's the you know for for a team like Williams, for a team like Haas, Aston Martin, whoever? Like, if they're struggling, there are I think there are significant implications to their businesses outside. Whereas I think AlphaTauri, they that it's the junior team. That it's not. Is it a sister team? I mean, take that with a pinch of salt. I I think that you know they could. I, I think with what Yuki's shown already this year in terms of his performances, I think that you know. Next season, you know, he'll have two full seasons under his belt. I think he'd have a good amount of experience there. Maybe they're working him up to be Sergio Perez's replacement at some point. I think that could, yeah, it would make sense if Yuki keeps going on the trajectory that I think he is and I think the potential that he has. Um, and then that other seat, that's, a, that's the gamble. That's, that's, the, that's the gamble seat to chuck at a, a Vips, a Darivala, a Lawson, a Hauger, whoever, one of these drivers coming through. I mean, I thought there was a mistake dropping Jack Doohan because I think he's doing a fantastic job. He used to be Red Bull Academy, now is Alpine. I think he could have been a good shout for it as well. Um, I, I think this is the team where maybe they just, for a laugh, just because what, what's there to lose relative to all the other teams on the grid? Because Red Bull, have, we know where their eggs are. You know what I'm saying? So, so I, I think that, that there's no value to, that, that we talk about not being much value to Pierre, but also I don't think there's that much value to Red Bull keeping... Pierre in that seat when they know there's there seems to be no future for him at Red Bull. So what's the yeah, point? Exactly. Just, you might as well give an opportunity to maybe you give it to Vips and he absolutely switches it on and is like unreal. I don't know. So Tomo Tost, who are you who are you giving that seat to? If we're Tomo saying Yuki Tomo Tost. Oh, that, Tost. <laughs> um I, I, from what I've seen this year in I, I think it goes to an F2 lad, doesn't it? I I, I think that but which one? Because like they they've got it's almost like a spin the wheel, like, you know, choose a driver, any driver, mate. Darivala's look good, but he's had quite a few years in in F2. The problem is that Red Bull do not have a superstar superstar in Formula Two, like obviously Dennis Halga. I, I, I said I said Halga. in my driver predictions, I said Halga, and he did have a very good Monaco. Um he won F3. You know, you gotta think he's gotta be up. I think I think if Halga gets let, top let the three, season play out obviously a little bit until yeah. the summer, but I mean who I think if Halga gets top three, I think he gets that seat. So you're saying Halga, yeah? I'm saying Halga. Who are you saying? I'm I'm gonna go Vips. I think uh Yuri's been so unlucky actually in Formula Two. I'm not saying first of all, I don't think any of them are Oscar Piastri kind of level drivers, to be brutally honest. Like a lot of them have had a few years in Formula Two and even Halga is kind of there's a bit of consistency that he's just lacking, although obviously, you know, he's just started Formula Two, but Again, Piastri just started Formula 2 last year and he was, you know, bang on it right away. So, you know a world-class driver when you see them because they're on it straight away. So, I've got I'm going to go with Yuri Vips. I've got an idea though, right? Red Bull, swipe him for Oscar Piastri and put him in the AlphaTauri. Oh, that's brilliant. Like, if, if, if imagine if Helmut Marko manages to pull that one off. Like, that would be absolutely genius. But, like, like could you imagine I, that? I, Oscar, Oscar Piastri at Red Bull, like, from Alpine to Red Bull. Like if they don't give him the Alpine seat, then I could see that yeah. happening. Buying out of his I'd, contract, like, there's got to be a buyout out of that rookie, like some you know, rookie be. contract or something. Yeah, he's he's not like his soul is locked into that contract and it will leave him if he leaves. Like that's 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 not how it works, unfortunately. I like that. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah. If Oscar Piastri is not in that Alpine in 2023, if I'm Helmut Marco, I buy them. Mate, they've got their half a billion Oracle deal. Like they've, they've got, got money, money in the bank, so they're, they're sorted. I'd buy yeah, I'd buy Oscar Piastri out of his contract. And put him alongside Yuki Tsunoda for, for 2023. I like that. 
That would be vibes. All right. A um, few more teams to talk about now. We've got Alpha. We got Alpha, we, actually. We did talk it's, about it's a bit of a... Let's talk about Alpha because, uh, again, looking at qualifying Delta, you know, the, the biggest qualif- qualifying gap between any teammates this year is between Bottas and Joe. Then it's Albon Latifi. Then it's Norris Ricardo. Everyone else is... Magnussen Schumacher is actually not too too much bigger than Leclerc Science, to be fair. Um, oh, but I'll eat my words then. I'll, t- I'll take it back. Uh, Schumacher's I mean, guy. just in Qualo. Yeah, but you, I, I do kind of agree with your point. Um, yeah, but as Joe, it's obviously, you know, big gap between teammates, but this is Joe Guanyu's rookie season in Formula One. I think he's learning a lot. I, I think he's not binning the car, which I think is probably the most important thing. Um, again, especially in a cost cap, but it's giving him the mileage to learn and improve. And I do think he's moving in a, in a good direction. I do have faith that there is more to come from Joe Guan Yu. Am I expecting insanity? No, but I think, you know, in, in F2, even in, you know, he did well last year. In 2020, he did very well as well. I thought, you know, he was battling with lot for a lot of that. I, I don't think he's... There's, there's certain... You know what? I'll be honest, just with my gut feeling, I think Joe Guan Yu showed more in F2 than Mick Schumacher did for me, personally. And I can, I seems like a sound kid. You've you've met him. You've you've met Valtteri and, and Joe. You did the videos in Bahrain as well. Um, you know, what do you make of them two? And do you? Because yes, the gap's big, but I don't think I, I think Joe's done enough to, you know, and, and it's is his rookie season. There's enough context around his performances. You know, he's had some very unfortunate <clears throat> DNFs in terms of technical problems with the car as well um, in recent races, which hasn't given him the mileage, unfortunately. But that's not been his fault, you know? He's not been binning yes. it, and I think that's important. And he has, he he did score points on his debut, or points, I should say. So at the moment, as it stands, what are we, seven races uh, into the season after Monaco? As it stands, he's got a lot of kind of things in the bank in terms of reliability has not gone his way. He's already scored a point. He's actually doing an okay job. But yeah, I've just... Now he needs to start scoring points. Like, okay, that was the beginning yeah. of your rookie season. Now it's time to really start rolling. Um, he needs to start scoring points because Teo Porcher, uh, Sauber, young Sauber driver, big potential, point. big superstar potential. Not Nothing to talk about with Valtteri. Always knew he was a quality driver. We always knew that he was a great qualifier. Now that the pressure of not being at Mercedes is off his shoulders, he's performing at his best at a level where he's able to get the most out of his talent. Nothing to talk about there. Now, the Teopor Chair situation is very interesting because I think Teopor Chair could be a superstar. He needs to win the title this season, though, to really kind of justify that hype. And I believe that he will. I think it's going to be him and Drogovic. It's going to be very, very close. I think he's still like 18 years old or something, which is nuts, but... Or 19. I actually see a scenario where if Teopor Chair does absolutely just blitz it in Formula 2... I do see a scenario where if, uh, kind of uh, Zhou Guanyu doesn't kind of improve his performances and doesn't score enough points because there is a big now gap between him and Valtteri. I know that Valtteri is the experienced driver, but if we get by the end of the season and that gap is still kind of there, I see mm. a scenario where they bring Teopor Chair in, who is their kind of superstar driver with loads of potential, but there is no way that Zhou Guanyu will not be in Formula 1 in 2023 because that's when the Chinese Grand Prix is coming back on the F1 calendar and Stefano Domenicali and Formula One are going to do everything in their power to make sure that they have a Chinese driver in Formula One. So potentially, I could see a situation where Paul Chair comes in for Alfa Romeo in 2023, and then I think Zhou actually goes to Haas. They they could easily use the money. He's a decent enough driver. He's still got potential, and him alongside K Mag for 2023. So kind of rough predictions there. I could see I could see that scenario happen, but 
if Zhou Guanyu does kind of start to really kick on, you know, kick on and start scoring points and start battling with uh, Bottas kind of as the season progresses, then yeah. I, I wouldn't blame them if they uh, if they did keep him. But yeah, he needs to kick it, on now. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of his, but now he needs to start scoring these points because the car is very good. Yes, just like with Piastri, I think Porsche is such a talent and he's still so young. Uh, and it's the balance of the risk of losing that driver. You know, yes, he's part of the Sauber Academy, but again, this contract isn't, you know, can't contract get bought out all the time. Um, maybe Helmut Marko wonder, will swipe him up, you know? Maybe. Well, again, look, and I think Felipe Drogovic, you mentioned him as well. He's doing an absolutely unreal job in uh, F2 this year so far. Like, he's still only 22, I think. And, you know, there's so many young drivers, some are affiliated with teams. Felipe doesn't have any affiliation with any team. I mean, it, again, when you say about uh, Joe going you as well, I, I think, you know, probably there's there's a Williams option there as well, maybe. Um, if Porsche does get that seat and then Joe maybe replaces Latifi at Williams, brings in a lot of money, can kind of equally plug that gap, I imagine, financially um, for Williams that, that they'd be losing yeah. with Latifi. So I think there's a lot of potential around there. I do hope that, you know, because again, Joe seems like a really sound kid and he's, he's got, I think he's got good, I think his qualifying pace has really struggled re relative to Valtteri, but I think his race pace has been much better. And I think, you know, that will come with time. I hope, I hope he's going to get there. Um, we haven't seen too much, like he's not switched it on like a Charles did in 2018 when he joined, um, when he joined that team, don't get me wrong. Um, we have seen that before where Rick is jumping and immediately look close to, if not quicker than their way more experienced teammate. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the future for Joe, I think is still very much up in the air. I, I'm glad there's not, there doesn't seem to be too much pressure on him at the moment. I think other drivers um, struggles like Mick, like Daniel is kind of taking the, I, I think if they weren't struggling so much, maybe there would be a bit more eyes on Joe, but I think it's it's fair. Where, where he's performing relative, I think right now, is pretty fair to expect because he was, ne you know, he didn't dominate F2. You know, he was a driver. We, we know why, you know, big factor as to why he came in. Um, but as well, like plenty of drivers, you know, Nicky Lauda, Sergio Perez come in off the back of money. Michael Schumacher yeah. got bankrolled by Mercedes. You know what I mean? Like it's... Um, it's all well and work called being like pay driver and that, but if you can deliver the results, then you can prove you've got an opportunity because everyone needs financial support to get to Formula One. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful for Joe Guan Yu, but I do, I agree. I think with the Chinese Grand Prix coming back next year, I think his, uh, his seat in F1 next year is, is pretty much guaranteed. He's going to be, yeah, he's going to be in Formula One. Obviously, we don't know what team, but whether it's like, Actually, yeah, I quite like the, the move to Williams because I rate him higher than Latifi anyway. He brings in yeah. probably even more money than, so. uh, than you know, Latifi with Safina. Like, yeah, I quite like that, actually. Yeah, with uh, with Albon, I think that would be quite a nice, actually, lineup. And again, it, it all depends kind of how... It all depends how Teopor Chair does in Formula 2 because if he doesn't win the championship or at least the, even if it doesn't go to, like, the decider or something, then Alfa Romeo might look sideways. Like, you know, he's not quite ready yet. So, yeah, there's a lot of things still up in the air, but I think Zhou Guanyu just needs to kind of, like, start scoring points because I want to see him do well. I do think that he's a nice guy. He definitely brings the drip into the paddock, which I love to see. Like, I love drivers. Who <laughs> Prada kind of like... every week. <laughs> exactly, mate. Sponsor that guy, I swear. But I do love that about him. I, I like him as a driver as well, but I just want to see him, you know, start scoring more points. But either For way, sure. he's going to be in Formula One and Alfa Romeo, they're probably buzzing with uh, how Bottas uh, is doing anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Valtteri is, is proving that a multi-year contract and him signing for that team. I mean, he had the choice Did between Did Toto Alfred get it wrong, you know? It's, didn't he? We talked about <laughs> that, <laughs> that Did Toto drop the wrong driver? 
<laughs> no, I, I think, yeah, I think this vindicates, you know, I thought he was going to go to Williams because that, but he was like, no, I'm going to go out for something new, different. And I, I bet he's glad now that he chose to go the Alfa Romeo route for sure. Um, he's doing a fantastic job, by the way. Yeah, there's, there's no question that he's, well, he's got a contract for next year anyway. Um, so Valtteri is safe, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Valtteri. I'm, I'm happy to see him performing well, looking happy, looking healthy, vibing on like he's he's got his gin out now bum he's out. got like he's got he's got his bum out every weekend like he's loving life isn't he he is yeah i mean it's just he's he's the valtteri bottas that we always kind of know like again it's just that mercedes environment of i said it with science when you're fighting for championships and race wins every single every single weekend it's mm. a different level it's a different yeah, level and valtteri wasn't quite there he wasn't a championship level driver but he's a very very good driver and we're seeing that yet again Delivering for Alfa Romeo, exactly. I think he's going to get a podium, by the way, this this season. Well. He's going to get a podium. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I'd endorse that message. Um, all right. Last, by no means least, the green team, the green Red Bull. That is Aston Martin. Um, neither driver has a contract in place for next year. Um, Lance Stroll probably has a lifetime deal, unofficially. Um, so you can't see him. Uh, he's, he's going to be in that seat next year, isn't he? Surely. Or is he? <laughs> um no it's yes, he is. it's a weird one it's actually a weird one because i mean um i think with seb there was a lot of stuff actually at the beginning of the season and i actually tweeted this in terms of like uh, especially after australia which was just a horrible race for him anyway you know it was just a bad race but you know drivers have bad races whatever he bounced back i think straight away in imola with uh scoring points uh, so that was great i think with seb i think he's gonna be there i think he's still happy to be in formula one happy to be with the team so yeah definitely no no doubts about him or at least, you know, I don't know if he is going to leave or not. There's kind of, in terms of like the media and some stuff that you read, there's, you know, oh, is Seb happy with Formula One? But from what I've seen, yes, he does look happy. So I would sign him on. But the Lance Stroll situation. Now, I just don't, I just don't understand where that team's going in terms of like, what is going on with Lance Stroll? Like, is his future just 100% confirmed every single year? Like, because the problem with me and Lance is that he'll With have... you and Lance, like you've got some personal beef. Exactly. Personal beef is that... I don't rate Lance Stroll that highly, but I know for a fact that he will have two or three races a year where he will just drive out of his skin. Like he'll have two or three races, maybe even the, in the wet, because he's a very good wet, uh, driver in the wet. And people will go, oh, that's why he deserves to be in Formula One. But he doesn't have the consistency. And if that team is serious about challenging the likes of Alpha and, you know, McLaren and getting into that, you know, very high echelon with the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes, Lance Stroll just ain't it. And it's like, is he just going to be there forever? Like, are you, is is it always going to be on Seb to score the big results? Again, I don't have anything like against Lance, but I'd honestly, mm. I mean, obviously I'm not in charge of that team and we know exactly who is, but I wouldn't have Lance there. I'd have like a Pierre Gasly or yeah, Pierre Gasly and Seb. Like to me, that's a really good combination. But ultimately I feel like as long as Lance, uh, Lawrence Stroll is at that team, Lawrence. I think they're, I think there's actually going to be almost like a potential ceiling in terms of what their driver lineup can uh, can do because I don't think Lance Stroll is as good as a lot of other drivers on the grid. So it's a I, weird I, one. I rate I rate Lance ahead of Latifi for sure. I mean it's what head to head it's four it's four one to seven qualifying. And but the average quali gap, I'm just looking now, is it's about the same as what it is between Alonso and Ocon, Leclerc Science, Verstappen Perez so far this year. So I don't think Stroll's uh, and again considering how good we know Seb has the ability to be, like we said about Ricardo, given the right circumstances, Seb's, you know, one of the 
clearly one of the strongest drivers on the grid if you give him i think the car and the environment to thrive and i i think as well yeah i i did find that weird there was a so much talk and and you know is this because there is i mean especially in british media there is i mean we talk about british bias but a lot of british media don't like sebastian vettel like when whenever um i'll occasionally see like old clips from bbc like 2010 2011 you know there's one with yeah. jake humphreys and uh, eddie jordan and brundle and, and coulfard and they're like, oh who's going to win the championship in 2010 and they all laugh at him <laughs> yeah i mean i've seen that clip about 20 million times uh yeah it's to the in, in the build-up of the 2010 it's season quite cringe, now isn't it? it is so cringe and like but I, David- I, I, do, I do think the um the, the noise around Seb, you know, oh, he doesn't look happy. I thought that was all a bit bollocks, to be honest. Like, I, di- I didn't really like And take also, that. I don't blame him. Like, it's when you weird. look at the car that he had at the beginning of the and season. And he's missed like... the first two races of the year as well. Like, come on. Yeah. Give the I man just... a break. I don't, yeah, at, at the moment, I'm not quite sure where his head is at, but I'm pretty sure he's still happy to be in Formula One. He's still yeah, happy with the I project. Yeah, I think he's all right. Of course, he's not happy to be racing for P10 or P9 on a good day. Like, mm. that's not where he's at, but the talent is still there, obviously, you know. Maybe he doesn't quite have the consistency of someone like Fernando Alonso, but that doesn't matter. He's still doing the job that the team wanted him to do. He's still the leader of that team. Mm. He still brings so much cachet as a four-time world champion. But again, so yeah, for me, there's nothing to talk about with uh, with Seb. I mean, if he if he's nah. happy to resign, then I'd absolutely 100%, 100% keep him. But what do you feel about the, the Lance Stroll situation? Well, I just... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I, I think Lance has... Obviously, he got the opportunity through the wealth and the support of his dad. Like, he's not the only driver who's ever done that. Like, fine, whatever. Um, and I, I do think he's, he's developed into a fairly competent racing driver. I, I wouldn't put him in the, you know, I, I, he's, he's definitely nothing kind of special. I mean, we still see some kind of bozo-esque mistakes um, from every now and then. Um, but at the end of the day, I just, I just think that, you know, Aston Martin it's a long-term project and I think you know Lawrence doesn't just own the racing team he owns Aston like part owns um Aston Martin Logonda the 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 automotive group so I think there's a lot of personal investment in there in getting that team to where they want to and you know it's been a difficult start to the year but I do think their trajectory it's it's one of them you just don't know like who knows what the future holds i, th- I think there's the potential there um are they going to develop the car in the right direction are they going to get rub the green and a bit of luck when they need it who knows but um i i don't have a massive issue with stroll being in that seat person like i mean yeah sure i'd love a driver who's there more on merit to, to have it but i don't think he's as much of a you know, liability as as certain other drivers on the grid. So I I think that you know, with Lawrence's long term investment, you know, again Seb's under no illusions. This is a long term project. I mean, the factory is not even finished yet. The new factory, like, he's not going to leave before that's like that's what he was like the dream to build this team up and move this team forward to the front of the grid was always going to be a long term thing. I don't think Seb's disillusioned at all. Like I I don't really see why people were saying that personally I, I i didn't get that impression beyond just oh well, yeah it's missed the first two races and you know the car struggling and just the frustration the of having a, a bad race yeah. as well in australia That's which fine. when kind of all of this kind of came about but yeah it's just i don't know it's just aston martin i kind of i, I see where the vision of the team is going but yeah. i don't see a driver lineup that to me is like on the level of like 
an Alpine or a Ferrari or a Red Bull. And if that's where you want to go, if that's who you want to be, that's where your driver lineup has to be. And I feel like with Seb, they have that if they give them, you know, the right car, even still. And when I look, I mean, I, I even look at someone like Daniel Ricciardo, like if Aston Martin came calling, you know, Ricciardo and Seb kind of reunited them as teammates. Like, I think that, that would be an upgrade on the driver lineup. I think Gasly would be a, an upgrade on the driver lineup. But again, it's just that kind of Lance Stroll situation of, I know he's, I'm not saying that he's a bad driver because he's actually not. He's a really good driver. He's way better than Latifi, in my opinion. It's just that I think because he doesn't have pressure on his shoulders, because he does have this lifetime contract, Perhaps. I think he's almost too chilled. I think he's almost Maybe. too chilled and like, you need pressure in Formula 1 because the best Although, drivers... Although, hang on, hang on. He was not chilled when he got knocked out of qualifying in Monaco. Did you hear his radio? <laughs> oh, my God. I did hear his radio. Screaming, bless him. He was crying, mate. Let's be honest. He was crying. Like, there were tears, tears going, going down. Tears but for safety car for your tears. There's not enough pressure on Stroll because... And that's, that, that's the that's a good point. Because a good point. the best drivers are made under pressure. That's when you really yeah. see what a driver is made of. And even if I go back to when he had a great car in 2020... At the beginning of the season, he was even better than Sergio Perez. But when Sergio Perez got basically, obviously, again, as we you know realized, knocked out of that team, he went to another level. He went to an absolute different he level. Up, yeah. He got multiple podiums. And if you look at Stroll in that second half of 2020, when he had an amazing car, arguably the third best on the grid, mm. he did not do a good enough job in that second half of 2020. And like, I remember even the last race, I think he kind of did, he kind of cost the team a place in the constructors ahead of McLaren. So whether he's had a good car or a bad car, I just think there's a cap on that team and that team's potential yeah. with him there. I'm not saying he's a bad yeah. driver. I'm just saying there's better options, in my opinion. Of course, of course. I don't think that's controversial to settle. And I, I, wasn't it Lance? I'm sure in Netflix, in, in Drive to Survive, he was the one who said diamonds are made under pressure. I'm sure that's a quite. I'm sure uh, that I came saw a meme on Twitter. Mouth. I saw a meme on Twitter of someone saying Lance would know. Lance would know about diamonds. <laughs> I was like, very yeah, good, he very would good. exactly. He would exactly. Right, Adas, mate. That's 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 all ten teams. We've talked about everyone's contracts. We've digressed. Right, time to We've talk get, about Formula Two contracts. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was going to say that's uh, you're here for a for a long time, not a good time, um, mate. We'll wrap it there. Thank you very much, Adas. It's a pleasure as always. It's it's it's, it's easy as well. You know what? It's really easy doing these remote podcasts when it's just two people because yeah. there's no like, oh, who's going to speak next? Oh. Let's wait. It's quite difficult with four, but have you enjoyed this contract talk, Alas? I always, mate, I always enjoy talking about Formula One. There's, there's, there's never not going to be a day That's why where we do what we enjoy. do. Exactly. Uh, and it's, you know, silly season. It gets, it gets, it gets me going every single year because you don't know what's going to happen. We know that in Formula One, driver contracts are not worth the paper they're written on. Anything can be changed. And that's what's uh, exciting absolutely, about it. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. But yes, to everyone watching on YouTube, let us know in the comments below, what do you think is your, you know, maybe mine, you know, Piastri to Alpha Tauri's like, what's your left field shout for maybe a driver transfer change of contract? Because again, contracts, they might be legally binding, but people have money to buy them out. So let us know in the comments below what you think. Five star us if you're audio only. Do all that good stuff, all right? Give us some love. Let us know. Let us give us some feedback. Tell us how handsome we are. And then we'll move on to the next one where we get the two ugly ones back. Um, well, thank you, everyone. <laughs> Matt and Hayden won't get this far in the podcast. It's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's I'm, funny I'm because it's true. Thank you, everyone, again for watching. Again, rate all that good stuff. And we will see you on the next episode of Talking Points, the post-race of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which is after my stag do, which you're coming to, mate. So I am. So get ready for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's good. Oh, we, we might be a bit sore after that one. So 
yeah, you, it might be a low energy next talking points, but again, we'll see you there. It'll be fun. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 <laughs>